0: Thanks for stopping in again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have something extra special for you. Uh, I know it may not look like much, uh, a six-pack of Harrow's Supreme, but it is a a vintage uh, six-pack of beer, and be careful drinking it. You might find a little bit of uh, gray substance uh, around the lid, and uh, you don't want to get that anywhere near your mouth. And uh, that is really the entrance into our topic today here at Odds Bodkins, the short story, Gray Matter by Stephen King. Of course, uh, King wrote this and had it first published in Cavalier, a uh, men's skin mag, uh, had it published back in October in 1973. Then it later made an appearance in 1978 in Stephen King's short story uh, collection, Night Shift. And if you listened to an earlier podcast uh, where I talked about my King Bonafides, my uh, Hail to the King, kind of my entrance into uh, being uh, a huge Stephen King fan, uh, Night Shift was the first book that I actually read of Stephen King's and uh, so many great stories. And I, I have to admit, and I think a lot of Stephen King fans will agree with me, probably his best book of short stories, at least for me, his best book of short stories, Everyone, every story is really good. Even the stories that don't really have uh, a supernatural uh, Flair to it. Uh, Last rung on the ladder. Uh, Woman in the room. There's still good stories, uh, but uh, all of them have you know just some sort of different twist uh, on horror. And gray matter was always one of my favorite ones, and it was one that I thought would be really cool to see uh, on the screen. Uh, I didn't think it was going to make a, a, a silver screen, and and I wouldn't want it to be made into a feature length movie because it's a very short story. And uh, to, to make it into a, an hour and fi- hour and a half movie, uh, you're gonna have to add a lot. And I, I really it, when it's done right and done well, I, I I don't mind it, but most of the time when people try to add the Stephen King and uh, and uh, make it, quote-unquote, better, Uh, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, You can't get better than the original. You can't get better than the source material. And uh, so I wouldn't want to see it made into a feature-length movie, but I always thought it would be great uh, for an episode of an anthology series. And that's actually what we've had to come uh, here uh, within the past couple years with the uh, uh, resurgence, uh, the revival of Creepshow, the uh, series on Shudder. And uh, the first episode uh, featured Grey Matter, which we're going to get to uh, here in a little bit. But right now, let's talk about the story. Let's delve into this 1973 classic when Stephen King wrote this. And it's very interesting that he wrote this in 73 because there's an aspect of it that I think kind of ties into... One of his later works uh, from yeah, from the 80s. Uh, well, again, we'll talk about that coming up. But right now, let's talk about the short story that is Grey Matter. Of course, uh, like many of Stephen King's uh, stories and books, it takes place in Maine. Uh, there are some people that believe it probably ties into it and maybe close to dairy uh there's talk of of banger and and stuff like that so again things we'll kind of delve into uh, a little bit later but it takes place in maine and of course it's one of those stories where uh you know a bunch of old duffers sitting around a convenience store uh is you know very Stephen King. Uh, he likes talking about old guys uh, sitting around a, an old potbelly stove and uh, you know spinning yarn. Uh, I think that's the, I think that's where Stephen King really uh, is at his best. When he's just talking about old guys telling stories, because I think, you know, even in King's younger days, I think he always kind of uh, looked at himself as that type of guy. The, guy. the kind of guy that sits around with other guys and just uh, tells tall tales and tells stories uh, that is I think when when Stephen King's at his best, and I think uh, an old soul like him uh, has always kind of felt a yearning to be that kind of guy and to, to emulate those kinds of things. So we start out in this convenience store with the uh, narrator. This is a store that's done in first person, and you never know the narrator's name, uh, but he's he's a, an integral part of this and he is a, he's the one telling this story of course the owner of the store henry parmley uh then there's a couple other guys carl and bill and Bertie, who is another kind of main player in this but uh, they're getting ready for a heavy snows. well actually the the snowstorm has been going on but it's gonna get worse and you know anybody who lives in the northeast knows that uh, we can get some wicked uh, snowstorms uh, through through uh, the northeast into the rust belt but uh, they're they're battening down the hatches and uh, getting ready for the snowstorm. When this young boy, uh, young Timmy Grenadine, uh, son of Richie Grenadine, comes in, and he's looking he's looking you know thin. He's not looking too well, and everybody kind of knows the story of the Grenadines. Uh, Richie Grenadine, you know, had some sort of accident. I don't think they really go into detail what the accident is, but he's on workers' comp. And uh, he just spends his time uh, drinking beer and uh, doesn't even go out much anymore. Kind of becomes a a bit of a recluse and sends his son, Timmy, to go get uh, whatever cheap beer he can get for him. And, uh, you know, Henry at the uh, convenience store always obliges and gets him uh, whatever uh, Timmy's father needs and sends him on his merry way well this time uh timmy comes in looking for help and he takes henry henry takes him back into uh, another room and he he here's timmy's tale of what's been going on with his father richie grenadine and he comes out and has his wife you know fix timmy a toasted cheese sandwich and he recruits some of the guys sitting around uh and uh, they're gonna go take some beer to richie grenadine and uh, as they get ready to go, uh, Henry pulls out his 45 and, uh for something that we don't know about. We don't know what is going on, but we know he's preparing for the worst, obviously. Uh, it's the old, uh, <laughs> the old rule. You bring out a gun in the first act, you got to use it in the third. Uh, I don't think you have to, but that's kind of the rule of thumb when it comes to writing. So uh, Henry uh, recruits the narrator, again, who we don't know his name, and Bertie, and um, they all go heading off in this snowstorm towards uh, Richie Grenadine's house. And while they're walking, uh, Henry recounts the tale that Timmy Grenadine, uh, Richie's son, told him about how his father had some beer. Uh, it was the worst tasting beer he's ever had. And uh, there's, there's, you know, kind of some illusions that maybe it's this gray substance uh, kind of uh, slipped into his mouth. And ever since, he's been uh, getting worse and worse. As the story goes on, you know, uh, Timmy's telling uh, Henry and Henry's recounting to the guys how he's slowly been transforming uh, whatever this mutagen that he uh, ingested. And it's turning him essentially into an inhuman blob. You get little uh, shades of, uh, you know, he's got a bit of uh, gray matter on his hands and, and his body. He uh, All he wants to do is sit there in the dark. And watches soap operas and drink warm beer. Uh, it gets to the point where he's even having the kid uh, heated up on the stove, I believe. And then one night, uh, uh, you know, uh, Timmy is wanting to do his homework, and he doesn't. You know, the father doesn't even want the light coming out from the dorm so, door, so he sends him off to a friend's house to do his schoolwork. And uh, Timmy eventually uh, spies on his dad. Uh, looking through a little door hole as he comes home, and he finds that his dad has eaten a dead cat. I believe the, the cat was stored like in a hole in the wall, something like that. And this freaks him out and causes uh, Timmy to finally seek help uh, when he when he takes it to the uh, to the guys at uh, the the store, uh, Henry Parmalee and uh, and the other gentleman, of course, our narrator as well. And there's one passage in the book that I really liked because, you know, Henry is is retelling this tale that Timmy told him, and it's a lot of fantastical things. And uh, Henry hardly believes it himself. Uh, how does he expect the, uh, the other guys, the narrator and uh, Bertie, to believe this fantastic story that, you know, a kid's telling this story to him uh, back in the shop. And of course, you know, Kids, kids make up tall tales, but there is one section uh, that I'll, I'll read a little passage from it, uh, kind of explaining how how he could believe something like this. And this is the uh, the narrator talking. He says, "I once knew a fellow named George Kelso who worked for the Bangor Public Works Department. He spent 15 years fixing water mains and mending electricity cables and all that. Then one day, just up and quit. Not two years before his retirement." Frankie Handelman, who knew him, said George went down into the sewer pipes on Essex laughing and joking like always and came up 15 minutes later with hair just as white as snow and his eyes staring like he just looked through a window into hell. He walked straight down to the BPW garage and punched his clock and went down to Wally's spa and started drinking. It killed him two years later. Frankie said he tried to talk to him about it and George said something one time and that was when he was pretty well blodo. Turned around on his stool, George did. And asked Frankie Handelman if he'd ever seen a spider as big as a good-sized dog, sitting in a web full of kitties and such, all wrapped up in silk thread. Well, what can you say to that? I'm not saying there's any truth to it, but I'm saying that there are things in the corners of the world that would drive a man insane to look him right in the face. And that just, that line right there, there are things in the corners of the world, uh, that, even as I read it the first time, to just reading it right now, uh, that, kind of gives me chills down the back of my neck and that's that's one of the things that i i've always loved about horror and i loved about stephen king because he's always explored those things in the dark corners of the world those things where the the veil between uh Our world and some other world get thin and and things pop through from time to time. And that's, uh, again, always one of the things I loved about Stephen King and and love to this day. But on with the story. Of course, they arrive at Richie's home uh, to confront Richie. Uh, The doors closed and uh, there's an odor pouring out from the uh from the place and it just stinks of course that everybody thinks that it's the uh, dead cats but uh read another quick passage uh about that that really kind of another one of the things that kind of spooked me when when reading this story they're talking to richie through the door there wasn't nothing for a while and then some horrible squishing noises like a man in rubber boots walking through mud Then that decayed voice spoke right through the other side of the door. Open the door and shove the beer through, it said. Only you gotta pull the ring tabs first. I can't. In a minute, Henry said. What kind of shape you in, Richie? Never mind that, the voice said. And it was horribly eager. Just push in the beer and go. It ain't just dead cats anymore, is it? Henry said. And he sounded sad. He wasn't holding the gun butt up anymore. Now it was the business end first. And suddenly, in a flash of light... I made the mental connection Henry had already made. Perhaps even as Timmy was telling the story, the smell of decay and rot seemed to double in my nostrils when I remembered two young girls and some old Salvation Army wino had disappeared in town during the last three weeks or so, all after dark. And yeah, that that passage where it kind of talks about how yeah he hadn't just been kind of sneaking out and going after dead cats and the the, the missing girls and that just uh, another thing where uh, his whatever's going on with him has gone to the next level and how Henry kind of notices it first before anybody else and the the. Uh, inclination that maybe Timmy was kind of suspecting that sort of thing and why he had kind of gone to them for help. Uh, Just uh, another one of those uh, horrific and kind of spine tingling. I hate to use that term because it sounds a bit cliche, but, but it's one of those things that uh just kind of raises the hair on the back of your neck a little bit when you think about uh this creature that uh, Richie grenadine is becoming uh and and doing these horrific things Who, who a guy who you know maybe in another life uh wouldn't have been so bad I I like the I kind of like the portrayal in the tdv adaptation and we'll kind of go over the differences uh here in a little bit but uh but at any rate uh richie finally comes out and they see this big uh gray blob where you can kind of see richie in there a little bit but it's it's this big monster and it's got four yellow eyes and how they kind of notice that uh he's got four eyes because it is separating into two uh, almost kind of like an amoeba uh, separating and that's kind of when things wrap up uh birdie and the narrator go bounding down the stairs like a little kids or a couple little kids running away henry stays there uh some shots are fired and uh, the narrator and birdie head back to the convenience store where along the way the narrator is kind of uh, doing the math in his head, you know, if it splits into two, then those two split into two more, two times two, four, four times two, eight, that sort of thing. And uh, realizing that this thing is going to start uh, growing and and separating exponentially. Uh, they don't explain anything to Carl and Bill when they get back. Uh, they just kind of uh, kind of resign themselves to seeing how this is going to play out. Uh, it's really kind of a, if you think about it, uh, it's possibly a hopeful ending, but it to me, it's, it's more of a bleak ending. And, and I'll read uh, the passage real quick. We got back. Carl and Bill Pelham jumped up and started asking questions right off. We wouldn't answer, neither of us. We just turned around and waited to see if Henry was going to walk in out of the snow. I was up to 32,768 times two is the end of the human race, and so we sat there, cozied up to all that beer, and waited to see which one was going to finally come back, and here we still sit. I hope it's Henry. I surely do. And that it's kind of a, you know, he's done the math in his head that this this creature, this gray mass, this gray matter is going to just keep dividing more and more. And if Henry can't kill it with the 45, uh, you know, who knows how long it's going to uh, divide and separate and, and keep multiplying until uh, it can be stopped. Can it be stopped? Can it even be stopped? That's uh, kind of the unasked and unanswered question of the whole thing. And the fact that they, you know, know that they can't, they can't run. They're in the middle of this blizzard. So all they can do is sit there and wait to see if Henry comes back or if it is their worst nightmare coming back. And that to me is such a, you you want there to be hope. I I remember the first time I read it, uh, I was, you know, probably in my teens, my mid-teens when I read it, and I wanted to have that hope. I wanted the hope that Henry was going to come back. He did stop it, and uh, I kind of had that hope—that uh, you know, wide-eyed naivety of uh, the teenage years. But but now when I read it, and I've read it a, a couple times since then, uh, that is—it's kind of a bleak and scary open-ended ending and that's that's another one of the things i love because sometimes stephen king uh ties things up in a nice bow for you uh makes you feel all good inside you get the warm happy fuzzy feelings at the end but sometimes you get the horrific end that you know what's going on you know that the good guy didn't win the uh the monster has won the day and who knows what's going to happen but then sometimes he does this where he kind of leaves things a little open-ended and um one, uh, the Mist is another great example of that. I know in the Frank Darabont uh, adaptation that uh, he kind of uh, took it uh, in a route that was one possibility of where it could have gone. But but as far as the novella, The Mist, you know, it's left very open-ended. Uh, you don't know if it's hope. You don't know if they're going to even uh, make it that far. But, uh, but that's uh, an aspect of Stephen King's writing that has always... Uh, I've always enjoyed. I I can't say, I was going to say it fascinates me. I don't think it fascinates me because, uh, you know, it's only human nature to want, you know, everything tied up. Uh, All the loose ends tied, the uh, T's crossed and the I's dotted, you know, all the pretty maids in a row. But, uh, but, you know, that again is another thing that uh, Stephen King uh, does this, leaves an ending open-ended like this uh, against the wishes of all of us, I think, as readers, we all want things tied up, um, but it, it leaves it open ended. So it lets the imagination wonder. It lets you take a walk in this world. He takes you this far and expects you to travel the west, rest of the way, uh, whether it be in your waking daydreams or in your sleeping nightmares. And uh, that truly is the beauty of stephen king and uh, one of, one of my favorite things about him is that as much as i want uh the ending to be the end uh, i do love the fact that he leaves things uh with a question mark at the end of it the end question mark and that that's a beautiful thing because it gives you know gives the mind a little time to stretch its legs and uh see where your mind takes the story from there uh and that's, that's fun. I like that. Now, of course, uh, this story, again, always one of my favorite short stories of Stephen King. It always was, uh, uh, even though, you know, after after a while, I couldn't remember all the particulars from the first time I read it to the next time I read it. Uh, and even from the second time I read it or the third time I read it until now, uh, you know, there's some, some particulars always kind of go by the wayside. But the fact of uh this kid seeing his dad turn into this giant massive gray jelly and that that always stuck with me and I always thought like I said earlier this would be a, a great uh, episode of an anthology TV series or or something something like that. Uh, I, I don't think it would uh, make a good, uh, even even TV movie uh, you know you stretch it out too far and things get thin and you gotta fill and I just don't like that it, it would take it too far I think from the source material because like I said this is a very very short sort story um you know Stephen King's known for some pretty long short stories uh, bordering into novella territory but this is this one's pretty quick you can read it fairly quickly it's uh, what like 10 or eleven pages I can't remember the exact number. But uh, I was so happy uh, when I heard, one, that Greg Nicotero of Walking Dead fame and, of course, uh, worked with Frank Darabont on The Mist and, and some other, you know, so many, so many great horror titles that uh, Greg Nicotero has got his name attached to. And I was so excited to find out that he was uh, a part of this revival of Creepshow and turning it into a series for Shudder back in 2019. And, of course, the very first episode, I was I was elated when I finally got... I tried not to, to ruin it for myself. I'm a horrible, horrible human being when it comes to uh, ruining and spoiling things for myself. Uh, I sometimes cannot help myself, and I go to Wikipedia and look things up and see what's what and what's where and, and who and what and why and how. And uh, I didn't. I, I stayed away from reading anything about Creep show until I finally broke down and got shutter. I knew how to get it eventually, but uh, uh, things just got crazy uh, with the pandemic uh in 2020 and I got married in 2020 uh moved and we had uh, construction in 2020 uh 2020 was such a horrible year to do anything but we tried to do two major things a renovation and get married uh in in the middle of a pandemic uh that's that was a horror story in and of itself so I didn't I didn't get shuttered when it first came out and I had to wait a while, but I finally broke down and got it. And I was so excited to find the first episode. And if you're not familiar with, uh, the creep show, uh, TV series, uh, they do two stories in an essentially an hour episode. And the very first story was gray matter. It was of course directed by Greg Nicotero. And of course, um, Byron, uh, Willinger and, uh, Philip DiBiase, I hope I'm pronouncing those names right, uh, wrote the teleplay, of course, based on the Stephen King short story. And I, I like that they changed it up a little bit. I'm, I'm very much a purist when it comes to Stephen King adaptations, and I want to see the story on the screen. But sometimes I understand that you do have to change things up a little bit. Uh, one for pacing purposes, uh, for time, you know, you're, you're limited to so much. This is an hour episode and you're only, uh, allotted, allotted so much of that, uh, time slot. And, you know, sometimes you got to change things up just to, to give it a little, little bit of an edge, a little bit of a twist, uh, especially when, when things are being remade and, and whatnot. But this one, uh, they made some changes to it. I think one to cut down on the amount of characters. In in the story, you've got Timmy and Richie Grenadine. Uh, you've got Henry, the narrator, and Bertie who go off. You've got a couple guys back at the home. You've got uh, Henry's wife who, you know, they probably wouldn't need to, to show her. But, you know, you got a handful of characters right there. And I'm sure budgetary concerns... They got a couple, a few good name actors and actresses uh, to be a part of of this uh, adaptation of Grey Matter. So uh, probably where we where we lost in quantity, we made up for in quality because they they scrapped the whole um, idea of the individual characters, except for Parmalee. They they had Adrian Barbeau plays the shopkeeper. Whose name is Dixie Parmley, which is kind of a nod to Henry Par- Parmley, the owner of the uh, uh, original convenience store. And then there are two characters we don't get any names. There's the uh, police chief, who I believe they just call Chief, uh, played by Tobin Bell, who plays the uh, the guy from Saw, the uh, Jigsaw, the the little puppet guy and of course I can't remember the his uh real the the real person behind jigsaw the name but uh does a great job with that and uh and does a, a fantastic job in this uh this rendition this adaptation and then his friend Doc playing by the incomparable uh Giancarlo Esposito I love anything that Giancarlo Esposito is in he just adds such a, a level of gravitas. Uh, he just comes at it with this Shakespearean flair to his performance. Uh, he can play uh, a good guy like nobody else. He can play a son of a gun like nobody else. Uh, he he's such a great actor, and I I anytime I see something with him in it. Uh, it, it always makes me happy because I know you're going to get some quality acting, and uh, of course he's he's kind of a he's a Stephen King alum. He had that uh, he was the guy at the pinball machine in Maximum Overdrive. If you did not know, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, in his early days of acting, if I'm not mistaken, uh, playing the the guy with the pinball machine uh, in Maximum Overdrive, and he's just been uh, you know gotten better and better with every film and television show he's done but anyway enough gushing over Giancarlo Esposito but really three you know top names uh in horror and in acting in general and of course uh Mrs. Parmelee uh Adrian Barbeau she stays with Timmy and it is Tobin Bell and Giancarlo Esposito chief and doc who go off to uh Richie Grenadine's house uh looking for him and uh they they kind of where in the book it's uh, Henry kind of retelling what the story that Timmy told him. You kind of get uh, Timmy back in the, the shop in the uh, convenience store telling Adrian Barbeau's uh, Dixie character the story as Doc and Chief are, are walking. And the story is, is relatively the same. Uh, I thought the special effects on, on Richie, I, I wanted them to be more, I wanted it to look more gelatinous when it shows him starting to get like the gray bits on him, I wanted it to look more slimy. I I don't know. I I was a little disappointed in that, but the story was good and I didn't mind the fact that they were, they were having Timmy tell the story and it kind of progresses until uh, they get there. And all of a sudden uh, Timmy starts to, to kind of freak out and he's saying he's sorry. And, You realize that Timmy was in on this. He kind of set them up to go to his dad as kind of a sacrifice to to feed his dad. And Of course, Richie Grenadine burst through the door and uh, you see this big slimy monster. Now, there again, uh, I was a little disappointed in the creature design. For Richie Grenadine as this uh, this gray matter monster, this you know, I always pictured it a more gelatinous, more blobby, more you know slimy, and and it just didn't have that feel to me. It felt more like a solid creature. It was it was creepy and it was disgusting. And uh, and towards the end, uh, as Doc's running away. And chief is is firing at it you do see it actually start to split where it's kind of alluded to in the story that he you know the narrator thought it was probably splitting uh, you actually do see it start to split and then of course Doc uh, Doc leaves and chief is I believe you see him killed and Doc runs back to Dixie and Timmy and. <laughs> I like, they play it more frantic in this adaptation than the uh, the story. In the story, the narrator and them go back, they're just cozying up by the fire, um, by the stove with all that beer, and uh, they're just waiting to see what happens. Where, like, Dixie is grabbing things, uh, they're ready to get out of there. <laughs> and. Um, Doc uh, Giancarlo Esposito I don't know he's on an adding machine trying to do the math and kind of really playing up the fact that he's they're trying to figure out you know how many times this thing is going to split and how massive uh, the number of these things there are going to be and uh, then the hands of these creatures break through the ceiling and grab Doc uh and Dixie and Timmy Scream and it's just you know fade to black Cut to black, but uh, it really was fun. It's not how I was hoping the well, once we finally got this uh, screen adaptation of Grey Matter, how it was going to be. Uh, there were some things I liked about the changes they made. I liked that they pared down the uh, the cast. Uh, I love the the actors they got to play this. Of course, uh, Jesse C. Boyd plays Richie, and Christopher Nathan plays uh, Timmy Grenadine. I thought they all did a, a great job. I didn't mind the fact that they, they set it up to where Timmy was essentially setting the guys up to go be a, a meal for, for his father. Uh, because I think this this story kind of plays off of alcoholism and drug addiction and neglect um, in, in certain ways. I'm I, not one of these people that everything has to be a GD metaphor Uh, I know a lot of, I've listened to a lot of Stephen King podcasts and it seems like, you know, uh, there are some podcasters that just aren't happy, uh, unless, you know, Stephen King is writing a metaphor about something. I think there may be a metaphor to be gleaned in this. Like I said, uh, alcoholism, you know, drug addiction, addictions of any kind, neglect with children, parents and children. I think that's all in there, um, I don't think you have to have a degree in psychology to, to figure that one out. But uh I, I like how they kind of played that uh to that again with, with Timmy kind of uh just trying to please his father who's uh and you know, neglecting him and in, in a way abusing him uh, with that neglect and his, you know, trying to feed his uh not trying to feed his uh addictions purposefully but uh just to to make his dad happy His dad, he just wants to you know do right by him and uh there's a lot to be said there's a lot to to unpack with this if you want to or if you just want something scary i mean it, it does that as well it does have some some good scares in this um Again, I didn't mind the changes they made to the story. They weren't drastic changes. Uh, the story still remained the same. I, I, like I said, I was a little disappoint, disappointed in the special effects, but not so much that I didn't enjoy it as a, an adaptation. So uh, I really liked it. Uh, it. It wasn't the best adaptation I think we could have got. Uh, again, I, I just my personal preferences. I wanted the monster to be more blobby. Uh, more gelatinous. Uh, that was just kind of how I always envisioned it. But, uh, but I did like, uh, you know, the monster that Greg Nicotero's team uh, put out there was creepy, and uh, it was. I wouldn't want to see that thing barreling down on me uh, morning, noon, or night. So, uh, really enjoyed this adaptation of gray matter, uh, on, uh, on creep show on shutter. And I think, I think they did a good job with, uh, bringing Stephen King's short story to the, uh, to the small screen. And I personally, uh, was very happy with it. Uh, would I like to see a different, Adaptation, a different take, uh, see if somebody did it a little closer to the, the original material, the source material. Sure, I would love to see that. Uh, but until then, I think this is a, a, just a fine adaptation and uh, was really, uh, really enjoyed seeing a story that I've waited to see on the screen for so long finally make it there. Now, uh, a lot of people believe this story is related to it or it's in the same universe as it. And I've seen uh, talk of... Uh, Dreamcatcher. Now, I I don't know. I, I haven't seen any articles or anybody opine on that. Uh, I did like the uh, the story that they tell within the story. Uh, Stephen King is famous for stories within stories within stories. But uh, where they're talking about the uh, the gentleman that uh, went down to the sewers and saw the spider the size of a, a large dog with uh, kittens wrapped in silk in its web and i almost wonder because you know king published this first in cavalier in 1973 well before it uh you know you had a spider giant spider uh not quite as big as as pennywise got in it but this spider down in the sewers i wonder if that was kind of the uh the start of an idea that king had that would eventually evolve into it and uh and i am not really sure the uh the dreamcatcher connection where i know some people are you know are, are trying to make a connection between gray matter uh gray mr gray I, I don't know if that's kind of the the line they're trying to draw there but uh but they never really say anything about dairy and i know dairy is the uh the scene for uh it and dreamcatcher uh they never say this is set in dairy but It's not saying that it isn't. So, uh, I'd be interested to see if, if anything, were ever uh, explained by King, or if anybody else had ever, uh, you know, delved into that anymore. To see, uh, I'd, I'd like to see some sort of uh, somebody draw the lines uh, to make those connections. Because I, like I said, I've, I've seen talk that there's a connection between it and Dreamcatcher in this story, but uh, I've not. I've not put those uh, those together except for, like I said, the spider thing. I think could have been the uh, the nugget of a story that Stephen King had in mind that would eventually become it. So there you have it. That is Stephen King's Gray Matter from the Night Shift short story collection. Uh, one of my favorite uh, collections of short stories and uh, one of my favorite short stories of Stephen King's, and uh, always excited to talk Stephen King, and and we'll do that here on Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, talk about Stephen King's, talk about some of my favorite other authors uh, of horror and science fiction and uh, the thrillers and that sort of uh, genre, is always something I love to, to talk about whenever I get a chance. And of course we've got some movies coming up to talk about. Uh, this is going to be a week where, uh, I'm kind of I'm bucking the, uh, one podcast a week sort of format, at least for now. Uh, cause there's just a lot going on. I've, I've seen some good movies that are out currently, uh, saw the suicide squad and, uh, That just came out recently, Uh, a movie that came out on Amazon. It's been uh, a a few weeks it's been out, but finally got a chance to watch it. The uh, Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. Uh, We're going to talk about those. Plus, we've got some other things, Uh, lots of shows coming out. Uh, Horror Noir is coming out on the series is coming out on uh, Shudder. So we're going to talk about the documentary and uh, we're going to talk about uh, what I'm looking forward to in the uh the series that's coming up horror noir so we'll be talking about that uh later on in the month we've got uh oh all sorts of things uh, good stuff. We got lots of movies coming out uh, sometime here in the near future, but in the next 3 months uh, it's going to be a fun time I think on the podcast because as we get closer to Halloween and, and Christmas, there's just there's all sorts of good uh, movies, uh scary movies, scary things to talk about, things that go bump in the night, a lot of sci-fi that is uh, coming out as well. And uh, I'm I'm excited for the next few months here at the odds bodkins curiosity shop so lots to talk about you can spec some more uh, some more episodes uh, coming out this week like i said uh between now and uh, the end of the week i'm hoping to get a uh, podcast episode out for uh the suicide squad fun movie uh the tomorrow war uh, a fun movie a, an interesting idea on the time travel Uh, genre so excited to talk about those two things here in the next few days and uh, thank you for joining us once again here at odds bodkins curiosity shop Uh, uh, thanks for listening Uh, please leave us a review of five star if you're feeling so generous but if not uh, any any sort of review Uh, i'm not gonna sit there and complain if you give me a one if you don't like what you heard hey you know that that's your opinion and god speed. Uh, hopefully you, uh, uh, hopefully you'll uh, change your mind as the podcast grows and I get better at doing this, uh, this podcast thing. I spent so many years on the radio. I think it would translate, but it's, it's a little bit of a different animal. I'm not usually talking so long, usually a couple minutes in between songs at best, but <laughs> at any rate, uh, check out our Facebook page, oddsbodkin's odds, Bodkins, curiosity shop, and, uh, follow us there of course always talking about what we're going to be posting uh, as far as new episodes and I try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening with uh, the horror and sci-fi genre, anything that's odd, creepy, macabre, mysterious, ghostly, you name it. I'm looking for it and I try to share as much as I find out there. Uh, Of course there's a lot of Great places, doing great work in writing about the horror genre. So I like to share that when I can and and keep you posted on all the things that are going on that is bizarre, macabre, and mysterious. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkins curiosity shop